Thank you, President Robert. Um, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge that we're on the country of the Wurundjeri and the Boonwurrung, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'm a Yorty Water man. It's important for me to do that. So, our speaker today is noted human rights advocate Hugh de Cresta. Hugh has previously been the executive, or he is currently the, pre, the executive director. Just make sure you've still got a job after this. Um, Hugh is the executive director of the Human Rights Law Centre since 2013, having previously served on its board since 2006. He also ser serves on the Victorian Censoring, Sentencing Advisory Council and the Melbourne University Law School Advisory Board. He's a past commissioner of the Victorian Law Reform Commission and a past board member of the National Association of Community Legal Centres. And he also headed one of the community legal centres in the western suburbs, uh, Melton, I think it was. And being a person in the western suburbs, I appreciate how much those centres are needed. As you can see, Hugh has, been a, has a long-standing commitment to the use of legal advocacy to defend and support the vulnerable and disadvantaged. It's more a vocation than simply just a profession. Would you please join me in welcoming Hugh de Kretzer. Uh, thank you so much uh, for having me and thanks for that introduction, Ian. Um, thank you for your interest in hearing about human rights here in Australia. And, and just let me know if at the back you can't hear properly. I'll try and project my voice. Um, what, what I was keen to talk about today is uh, an issue which is very close to my heart, which is why we need an Australian Charter of Human Rights. Uh, and why it will help to make a society uh, in Australia that is better, that is fairer, and that is grounded in values that we care about, like compassion, decency, respect, and justice. Many of the things that Rotary stands for, having read about the uh, fantastic work you do here and abroad. Um, I also want to acknowledge that we're meeting on Wurundjeri and Boonwurrung land and also to acknowledge uh, Ian uh, here as a Yorta Yorta man um, here in Wurundjeri country. Um, this year marks 20 years, uh, sorry, this week marks 20, 20 years since I started my law career um, down the other end of Collins Street at the uh, corporate firm uh, uh, Mallison Stephen Jakes as it then was, now King and Wood Mallisons. Um, I was very lucky in life to have um, been raised in a um, safe, stable, loving and happy family. I need to say that because my mum and dad are here um, in front of me. Um, but um, it, it was a very fortunate upbringing for me. I went to Melbourne University and studied law and arts and then I got a job as an article clerk uh, at one of the um, good corporate law firms in Australia. I was there for about four and a half years and then I took the opportunity to do a secondment to the Brimbank Community Legal Centre out in Deer Park. And it was really uh, the place where I started learning properly about human rights in this country. Um, I went from a nice office in level 30 of the Rialto to a demountable site shed in Ballarat Road. Um, when it rained, uh, you couldn't hear the clients on the phone. When the uh, sheep trucks went past on Ballarat Road, the whole building shook and you could smell the animals. Um, and we won an award for being the um, uh, legal centre most likely to be stolen on the back of the truck. Um, <laughs> 
mum and dad were in government house at the time and I used to walk into government house and go, look at the resources uh, available here. And I remember talking to the finance minister who said, no, you have to understand this is a house for the people and it brings lots of joy. But it really was a contrast for me from um, working in a corporate law firm where the companies that we serviced had all of the resources, the best lawyers in the country available to them to working in a community legal centre where every single day we were making um, uh, really tough decisions about who we helped and how much we helped them because every hour we spent with that client was not was an hour that we couldn't spend with the other client who was waiting to get help and more importantly the hour for the client who had not realised that they had a legal problem who needed, who needed legal help out there in the community. Uh, the people uh, we worked with were often on the fringes of society, so people struggling uh, with mental illness, poverty, childhood sexual assault, family violence, uh, crushing debt, uh, stress, uh, deep disadvantage. Uh, it was over a decade ago now, um, but I still remember um, very clearly many of the clients that I worked with, uh, a young woman who had been sexually assaulted as a child, uh, a, a young man who was bashed by prison guards in uh, Port Phillip Prison. He was out and was telling his mother um, what had happened while I was there, taking a statement from him. Um, another mother who had uh, completely turned her life around, who had had a very difficult upbringing, had two beautiful children, um, had found employment, retrained, um, and then was sacked summarily from her job once they discovered that she had a nine-and-a-half-year-old criminal record for prostitution and drug offences. I um, ended up managing that legal centre for three years, and through my time there I saw um, very convincingly how the law can empower people, how it can uphold dignity, how it can deliver justice, but also how it can entrench disadvantage. And the injustice that I saw and, and dealt with um, in the clients that we supported um, very much motivated me and continues to motivate me. But instead of addressing, addressing injustice in individual client work, uh, one by one, um, sometimes in Band-Aid solutions, what I am passionate about is fixing injustice on a systemic level. And that's been through my work at the Federation of Community Legal Centres, my work at the Victorian Law Reform Commission, on the Sentencing Advisory Council, and now at the Human Rights Law Centre. I want to change laws and policies that allow injustice to occur or that fail to remedy injustice. And that's why I'm so passionate about an Australian Charter of Human Rights. Now, to understand uh, what a Charter of Human Rights does, you need to understand what human rights are. And um, in simple terms, human rights are rules that governments around the world have promised to comply with that uh, serve to ensure that every single one of us, no matter who we are or where we are, can live a decent, dignified life. They're rules like the right to be heard, to be safe, to vote, to stand for elections, to have food, a reasonable standard of healthcare, education, and more. When we go to see friends and family, we enjoy our freedom of movement. When we join a trade union or an association like Rotary, we enjoy our freedom of association. When we go to a protest, we enjoy our freedom of assembly and expression. When we attend a church, a mosque, or a synagogue, we enjoy our freedom of religion. When we take our kids to the doctor, we enjoy our right to health. And when we access goods, jobs, and services, regardless of our race, gender, or disability, we enjoy our rights to equality and non-discrimination. Importantly, under international law, 
most human rights are not absolute. They can be limited, but they can only be limited in a way that is reasonable and if you have a legitimate aim or goal for that limitation. So for example, free, freedom of expression or freedom of speech is not an absolute right. I can't say with impunity anything that I like and our law um, justifiably limits things like threats to kill, child pornography or racist hate speech. There's limitations on freedom of expression and those limitations are reasonable and they serve to achieve a legitimate goal. Um, human rights have a long, long history going back to things like the Magna Carta, but the modern human rights movement really stems from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, as a human rights lawyer, I'm obliged to carry one of these at all times and produce it on demand. Um, it really is um, an extraordinary document. Um, so after the horrors of World War II, after all of that human suffering, the international community came together and said, never again. Uh, it was one of the pillars of the United Nations, a pillar that was set up to achieve peace and to achieve better lives for people around the world. Again, things that I know Rotary are absolutely committed to. Um, Australia was very closely involved in the push for the declaration. Was one of, an Australian member was one of the very few drafters who helped to draft this document. Uh, the document was uh, adopted by the Universal, um, uh, sorry, by the United Nations General Assembly on the 10th of December 1948, what's now called uh, International Human Rights Day and also my daughter's birthday, coincidentally. Um, the first article of the Declaration says that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity, and then it goes on to list 30 articles or rules to protect human rights. And what the Declaration did was uh, simple and yet at the same time radical. It said that no matter who you are or where you are, you have dignity and you have rights and you are entitled to things that these rules that give you uh, a decent, dignified life. And it's an unremarkable proposition now that I have equal value as a human being to any other uh, human being in the world. But in 1948, after the horrors of the Holocaust, entrenched racism, things like eugenics, uh, that was not, that was a radical idea. And it's enduring, uh, the, the success of human rights is really embodied in the fact that that is uncontroversial now, that anywhere in the world, we accept that anyone who is human has these basic entitlements. The Declaration in 1948 then sparked major international human rights treaties that successive Labor and Liberal governments uh, signed and ratified, and most recently the Turnbull government ratified the Protocol to the Anti-Torture Treaty in 2017. All of this international law is very important. Um, the problem though is that international law does not automatically become part of Australian law. Um, so. The Australian government, when it signs up to a treaty, an international human rights treaty, is meant to implement that treaty in our local laws here in Australia. And that's where the problem lies. Instead of comprehensively adopting international human rights laws in our domestic law, Australia has uh, what's been called a patchwork of protections. So you can't take legal action in Australia in an Australian court arguing that the, the government has breached the right not to be locked up unfairly in the Universal Declaration or the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Instead, the government is meant to protect against those rights in our domestic laws. 
So freedom of speech and freedom of association are only partially protected. The right to privacy is only partially protected. The right not to be locked up unfairly is only partially protected, and so on. And uh, at the state and territory level, um, here in Victoria, we have a Charter of Rights and Responsibilities since 2006. The Australian Capital Territory has had one since 2004. And Queensland, uh, just a few weeks ago, um, passed its Human Rights Act or Human Rights Charter. So we're seeing progress, um, but at the national level, we do not have an Australian Charter of Rights. And in fact, we are the only Western democratic nation in the world without a Charter of Human Rights. So unlike uh, our friends in New Zealand, Canada, UK, the Europe, in, in America and so on, Australians have less human rights protections in our law than our counterparts, and this matters. Um, we live in one of the safest, most stable and prosperous countries on the planet, and we should absolutely celebrate that. But when you look at our history, um, it's very clear that that safety, security and prosperity has not been consistent and has not been shared by all. Governments and people in power have abused rights over our history, from the shameful treatment of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, to the criminalisation of homosexuality, to entrenched sex discrimination, the white Australia policy and more. Today, many of us enjoy our human rights without thinking much about them, and again, uh, I think this is partly a good thing. It's partly a reflection of our success as a stable democracy. But it's also a recipe for complacency because it's clear that for many people in Australia, human rights are not taken for granted. They're sometimes part of a daily struggle for dignity, for respect, for freedom and equality. For many people in Australia, human rights matter deeply. If you're living with a violent partner, human rights matter. If you've been bullied at high school for being gay, lesbian or transgender, human rights matter. If you're a migrant being racially abused on public transport or at work, human rights matter. If you're one of the thousands of young people with disabilities forced to live in old age homes, human rights matter. If you're living in a remote Aboriginal community with grossly inadequate housing and seeing your family and friends dying too early, and your community hit by punitive laws that see too many Aboriginal people locked up and sometimes dying in our jails and our police cells, then human rights matter. And if you're a refugee being held indefinitely by the Australian government on Manus Island or Nauru, despairing for your future and for your family's future, human rights matter. Sadly, there are far too many examples where our current system of protecting rights is failing us. We see it in our work every day at the Human Rights Law Centre. Too many politicians have been too willing to violate basic human rights to protect their power. Too many public servants have been too willing to enable those policies. And too many Australian parliaments have been too acquiescent in approving laws that undermine human rights. An Australian Charter of Rights would better protect our human rights. It would fill the holes in the patchwork of legal protection of human rights in this country and create a proper safety net for all. It would help to ensure that our government follows the rules that it's promised to comply with under international law, and it would build a culture of rights, of respecting the values that we all care about. 
There's different models that, uh, that a charter could take. Uh, the strongest protection would be a charter embedded in Australia's constitution, the rule book for our nation, if you like, and this is the model that's been adopted in South Africa and Canada and the US, although the US Bill of Rights is conceptually quite different. Uh, that constitutionally protected human rights would override laws passed by the federal parliament or by state and territory parliaments, but a constitutional charter would require a referendum, um, and we know the history of how difficult it is to uh, achieve um, success with referendums in Australia. A more achievable option is a legislative charter of rights, and this was the model proposed in 2009 by one of the largest consultations ever undertaken in Australia, led by a committee um, headed by Frank Brennan. This is a consultation that received over 35,000 submissions that held 66 roundtables in 52 locations across Australia, and 80% of the submissions uh, supported a charter of rights, the majority of people polled in social research supported a charter, and yet the Rudd government in its spiralling final months failed to act on that support and implement that recommendation. So 10 years on, we still don't have a charter of rights in Australia. A legislative charter would be a normal piece of legislation passed by the Australian Parliament, which the Parliament could change if and when it wanted to. And this is the model adopted in the UK, in New Zealand, in Victoria, the ACT, and recently in Queensland. And a charter like this would do two key things. Firstly, it would require Australian government bodies, government departments, the Federal Police, Medicare, Centrelink, um, government agencies that are determining quality of life uh, for many people, particularly vulnerable people. It would require them to properly consider and act compatibly with human rights when developing laws and policies and when delivering services. It would force them to think about people's rights before they act. And secondly, it would give people the power to hold government to account if government bodies cross the line and breach our rights. It wouldn't give the courts the power to strike down legislation, but they would be required to interpret our laws consistently with human rights and could declare that these laws breach human rights, which would send the issue back to parliament to decide what action to take. So it's a model that preserves parliamentary supremacy, if you like. The experience from Victoria, the ACT and overseas is that the biggest impact a Charter of Rights has is here in this lawmaking process, in developing better laws and policies, in putting people at the heart of laws and policies and services, and, and doing this just as part of the normal business of government, thinking what's the goal we're seeking to achieve with this law? Will it impact on rights? Will it restrict rights? If so, is it justified? Or is there a less restrictive way of achieving that goal while minimising the impact on human rights? And this is human rights uh, lawmaking and policymaking in action. But it's critical that there, that there is an effective, accessible enforcement mechanism. And that means giving people the power to take action in court with an independent umpire if government crosses the line. And that power is needed to make sure that governments take human rights seriously and it's, uh, it's needed uh, because rights without remedies are not rights at all. And we've seen this again, uh, time and time again, in our work at the Human Rights Law Centre, particularly for groups of people who um, uh, governments are able to demonise and uh, uh, can treat as unpopular minorities. Opponents of human rights charters sometimes argue that they transfer power from elected parliamentarians 
to unelected judges, uh, setting up a false binary as if only one of those institutions should be the guardian of our human rights when the Brennan inquiry, that 2009 consultation, showed that what Australians want is stronger human rights protection in both the courts and in parliament. And in fact, what charters do is transfer power to ordinary people to protect their rights by requiring governments to act compatibly with rights and by enabling uh, people to advocate and failing that to take court action to protect their rights. And if your family is being held on Nauru by the Australian government and your two-year-old daughter is gravely sick and at risk of dying, if the government's ignoring the advice of multiple doctors to urgently evacuate your daughter to an Australian hospital, then you want an unelected judge with the power to protect you and your daughter's human rights. Of course, a charter on its own is not enough. We need rights to be well, well understood in Australia by our politicians, by our public servants and by the general public. We need our community to stand up for human rights. A charter would be just one of the pillars of rights protection standing alongside other pillars like a property, properly functioning independent court system, a free press, free and fair elections and so on. But the foundations of our nation are weaker without a national charter of human rights. Momentum's building, we've got the charters in the ACT in Queensland, sorry, Victoria. We've recently got the Queensland Charter. Now is the time for action at the federal level. At their heart, human rights are about the relationships and the communities that we want. Um, when we treat each other with decency and with respect, with compassion and with justice, when our human rights are understood, upheld and protected, our communities are better and stronger. Thank you.